Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule, if you've not heard it before, is the podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they choose to have in a time capsule. They can pick anything they want from any time in their life, but they pick four things that they cherish and one they'd like to bury and forget. My very special guest in this episode, as requested by numerous listeners, is the producer of my time capsule, my son, John Fenton-Stevens. John is a musician, composer and producer. He's been running the music production company Pass the Peas since 2005 and has written and produced music for multiple worldwide advertising campaigns, including Land Rover, BMW, Nintendo, L'Oreal and The Home Office. John was the composer and musical director for the children's puppet show Monty & Co on CBeebies and is the singing voice of the channel Sky Kids, having written and sung their Wake Up song, their Move and Shake song and their Good Night song that are all played on the channel every day. His own music has been played on BBC Radio 1, BBC Six Music and BBC Introducing and he's toured the country as a guitarist in various bands. He is the producer and editor of the multi-million downloaded podcast, My Time Capsule, which you may have heard of, and which has been the podcast of the week in The Times, The Guardian and The Radio Times. He also says he co-stars in the podcast sponsorship adverts, but I'd describe it more as a supporting role. An extra, if you like. John is the voice behind the viral sensation of... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday etc. on TikTok and Instagram, which has been used and viewed hundreds of millions of times. So here is the recording my son and I made in which he chooses the five things from his life he'd want in a time capsule. We both hope you like it. So this is the weirdest conversation that I'm probably going to have. Yeah. 
in as much as most of the people I speak to on my time capsule are people that I know a bit or know of, but I don't know terribly well. But if there's anybody to talk to who I would probably know the most about, I would think it's you. Although, you know, as with anything, do you ever really know your children? Yeah, we'll find out, won't we? I mean, <laughs> maybe the things that you're going to go, oh my God, I never knew that. No, the other wife. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, all these grandchildren you didn't know existed. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny with grandchildren. I'm also thinking about it. When I talk normally on this to people about my grandchildren, I'm usually referring to Hannah's children. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this too. I think lots of people may assume that Natty, who you speak a lot about, and Edie a bit, that they're my kids. Yeah. I think people might assume that, but they're not my kids. They're my sister, Hannah's children. Yeah. But I talk about them because, well, A, Hannah is more open to the idea of me talking about them so that everybody knows about them. And you're not keen on that idea. Well, I never put up photographs of your children on the internet, hardly ever. And then you tell me to take them down straight away. Yeah. Because you think they should choose when their image is put up eventually. Yeah. That was a decision we made straight away. Mm. We just thought we're never going to put pictures of them on the internet. Just because one day when they're old and they go, there's this huge bank of images of me and everybody knows who I am. And I didn't choose that. So we just decided not to do it. And they can decide that if they're older, if they want to do it. Yeah, no, it's a, I think it's a good decision. There will come a time, of course, where they'll say to someone, do you want to go out with me? And they'll say, hang on a second. And then they'll just check their Let me just check your yeah. photos. Let me look at what you were like as a child. Did you ever have a tantrum? Yeah, well, we do have that, but it's just not public, don't we? We have a private Apple photos feed of all the kids and we put photos up of, on it regularly and so does all the other family and we all look at it. Just nobody else does. I don't know why anybody else needs to. Nobody needs to. I don't no. know why anybody would be interested for a start. Yeah, generally you're right, I think. But anyway, so that's Freddie and Leon. No, I'm going to talk about them. I don't mind talking about them and having their names out there. That's going to be part of my capsule. Good. So, yeah, it's fine to talk about them. Yeah. So what have you been up to recently? Been doing any podcasts? No, just listening to them, really. I don't <laughs> All the time, constantly listening to people talking. Well, either ours yeah. or other people's. I, I'm always amazed that you find the time to listen to other people's podcasts. Well, I do it on my drive to work. That's when I do it. Because I work in your house, in a room in your house, because my house isn't big enough to have a room to work in. Mm -hmm. So very kindly go to my old child's bedroom where I grew up and work in there, which is some people might find strange, but it's good for me because it's cheap. (laughs) And it's in the West Wing, so it's well away from us and we don't hear the noise. Yeah, we don't disturb each other. Yeah, although you do get the noise from the deer park, don't you? The shoot every now and again uh, can be a pain. Those pheasants and uh, the worst thing... What are those birds with the big feathers that go out the back? Peacocks. <laughs> That's the Is one. that what you're saying? I am, yeah. That's where my joke was heading until it fell apart. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, people may be thinking, why on earth are you doing this podcast? What an extraordinary ego you think you have that people may be interested in you. No, you insisted on it. <laughs> I mean, I said I don't think people would be interested, John, but you said they must hear my voice. They've got to hear me. I'm important. <laughs> well, the reason... The reason why we're doing it is because I put out a tweet a few weeks ago because we were coming up to the 300th episode saying, who would you like to hear as a 300th guest? And the name that came back the most was my name, amazingly. (laughs) Amazingly. So we thought we'd do this as a bonus episode as part of the 300 celebrations. But this may be a case of giving the people what they want, not necessarily what they really should have. Mm. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, Yeah, it's your fault. If this is awful... (laughs) 
Serves them right. But it's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah. I would never have predicted that you and I would end up working together. Well, I wish we'd been doing it for longer because I did, first of all, say maybe 10 years ago, we should do a podcast. You know some people. Let's do a podcast when they weren't that big. And if we had started then when there wasn't the enormous competition we suddenly came up against during lockdown, Mm -hmm. we may be slightly bigger, which would be (laughs) nice. But uh, it's amazing what we've done in that time anyway. I mean, really without being rude, you aren't enormously well-known only to a few people. So, for, <laughs> you know, it's just our guests who are the well-known thing and you, that's the only way we can get it out to people say, mm. listen to this. If it was just me and you chatting, I don't think we would have perhaps got quite as far. <laughs> what if we did this every week? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's more impressive that we've got where we are now when you think of the competition and how many podcasts there are out there for people to choose And they choose to listen to this. It always amazes me when people write to us on social media and things and leave reviews and go, oh, this is my favourite podcast. I never miss an episode. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. Mm. And people have been so kind saying it's got them through really tough times and stuff. And, you you know, it's it's amazing when you think of that. Yeah. That people would sit and listen to the work we've done. It's amazing. It's also amazing how quickly you, um, well, schooled me in how to do it. Uh, when we think we were just talking this morning about an episode that we recorded right at the beginning, almost as a test, and you were saying you'd listen to it again. And although I have a tendency to talk too much in it and to interrupt people. That's how you started doing. Yeah. When we started it, that's what you were doing a lot. Mm. Thinking, oh, I need to be entertaining and I need to show, you know, talk now. Oh, I've got a funny story here and you jump in and do it. But you learn really quickly, I think just to be quiet and let them speak. And now that's one thing that whenever people who write reviews say, it's amazing, he just he lets them talk and comes in when it's necessary and people think it's a great skill of yours. Sorry, I've just been to the toilet. That, that's what I do. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I just leave people alone. <laughs> yeah, turn off the Zoom thing and you're off. <laughs> I just, I've been reading a book. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's nice. It's nice that it's regarded that way. And I enjoy doing it. I still enjoy talking to people. Everyone is a surprise. So I'm hoping, actually, I'm sure that this will also be a surprise. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I said to a friend of mine that I was going to be doing an episode and he said, oh, well, you must have thought of your things years ago. No, I've never thought about it. I don't know why. I think you were the same when you did your episode. I've never thought about what I would put in. And people always say, oh, it's really difficult. I couldn't, I was like, yeah, it's really difficult. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> and then you do question what you've chosen as well, don't you? Immediately. Yeah. Why would anybody be interested in that? Yeah, these are just normal things from my life. Why is that interesting? Although hopefully we showed that anybody can be interesting. They don't have to be famous. When we did the listener episodes and they were brilliant and people loved them. So I think that proves the formula works for anybody. Almost everybody can relax down to the point where you're just having a conversation. Mm. So how are you feeling? Relaxed? No, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Also, we're in the same house, but we've decided to do it over Zoom. Mm. I think it would be too close to do it sitting next to each other. It would be too, you know, there's a bit of distance here and you can sort of relax in your own space and not worry about it, which actually I think works for lots of the episodes that we do. When we first started it, we were going to go to everybody's houses and we did go to some people's houses and those episodes are great. And when we do it in person, they're still good, but there's just something about people being in their own space and not being in the same room where they're able to relax and say, be really open and say what they want to say. Mm. Lots of podcasts went straight back to in-person as soon as they could. Mm. And for some, just for pure comedy podcasts, I think some of them maybe in the same room 
it works. But this one, which we thought was going to be a comedy podcast when we started it, <laughs> we're like, this would be funny. And then people started being very, very serious. Yeah. We weren't really expecting it. And then people started crying. I know. Which I always love when we get them crying. <laughs> I'm so pleased, which isn't very kind. But yeah, I think, wow, we got them crying. That's amazing. <laughs> We're like Piers Morgan's life stories. We forced them into it. Just keep going until they cry. So how did that make you feel? So what happened to your father there? <laughs> cry! <laughs> we don't do that, though, do we? No, 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 we don't. I mean, that's what I'd, is always surprising about it, is that those things come completely out of the blue quite often. People are talking yeah. about something they love and the emotion just wells up in them. Well, I'll probably do it today. <laughs> probably. And you did it and you didn't think you were going to do it on your one. You suddenly no. cried. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. Let's talk about the things you're going to put into your time capsule, John. Okay. So, yeah, this is going to be strange in a way talking to you about these. Sorry, just burping. <laughs> because some of these things you will know all about. And I'll have to tell the listener, really, rather than you, because you'll go, well, yeah, I was there. I know all about that. You don't need to tell me. But at the same time, John, it's always interesting to hear it from the other point of view. I may know those stories, but actually it's how I remember them. And you write your own stories about the past. I think you write your own through line of everything, which basically revolves around you. So it would yeah. be interesting to hear it from your point of view. Yeah. But also you may be able to help me remember things if I've forgotten, <laughs> which would be useful. So the first one, let's go for the number one. Okay. For the time capsule. This is the sentence that I've written down. Lying on a sun lounger in the dappled sunlight under a walnut tree. Ah. See, now I know immediately what you're referring to. Yeah. No one else will. No. So let's not tell them. Anyway, what's number two? Number two <laughs> is... Um, yeah, so this is my grandparents' garden in France where they lived, mm -hmm. which is not your parents, it's my mum's parents. And they must have moved, They moved, what year did they move there? Well, just after we moved there, we went on holiday and we saw the Olympics in Barcelona. So when would that Was be? that 1990, is that? Yeah, so they would have moved there 89, I think. Right, so it would have been seven or eight, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we used to go there all the time, it feels like. We used to go many times a year. It was quite a big journey. We used to go down to the Channel Tunnel go over and then it was about a five-hour drive it wasn't it after we got into france mm -hmm. but it was just the happiest place in my memory it was just i absolutely loved going there they had a really funny old house that they did up over the years when they first moved in there half of it was falling down there were pigeons nesting in it and they didn't have a shower or anything and it just over the years built it mike granddad mike as we call him which is what my kids now call me um, he just built it over time, didn't he? There was an incredible brick kiln. That's why they bought it, I think. It was the buildings around a brick kiln. The central thing was this huge three-storey brick kiln. Yeah, from the inside, it was a chimney that would go up to a sort of point with bricks all around. Really beautiful. And when they first moved in, it was just a brick kiln with a rickety old floor in it. But over the years, he replaced the floor, they put a roof over it and then knocked through into it from the other side and turned it into their living room. So you'd sit in the living room and above would be this incredible chimney going up really high to this small hole. Mm. It was amazing. Yes, every layer of brick got smaller and smaller and smaller. That was the amazing yeah. thing about it. So they'd obviously made each brick for that specific reason. Yeah, the garden was as well was such a thing for our childhood because it was quite big. It was two acres, wasn't it? Mm. They had a great big field next door to it, which when they moved in, they didn't realise they owned. 
And then the farmer one day said, oh, do you want your field back? And they were like, which field? <laughs> this one here, this is yours. Like, I've just finished using it now. So then they had this great big field, which over the years we'd go and we'd pick up rocks and stones and clear them off the land and eventually planted sort of an orchard there, which must look amazing now. It was a long time ago. Mm. Um, and it was a big vegetable patch down one side that you have a huge amount of vegetables from it. Yeah, There were cherry trees in between the main garden and the field. There were cherry trees. So every year she'd bottle huge amounts of cherries and then we'd eat them for puddings after <laughs> meals. And then we created the most disgusting game of all time <laughs> called Spitting Cherries, where we'd all have a bowl of cherries and then we'd put a big bowl in the middle and we'd eat our cherries and get the pip in your mouth and then spit it into the bowl from wherever you were on the table. And they'd go everywhere into people's wine glasses or into your bowl that you're trying to eat. You'd suddenly go, no, this is just a stone that someone spat in my bowl. But it was incredibly fun, especially as a child. There's not always as a child that things like this happen that you would want to do as a child, that then adults would go, yeah, let's do this. This is fun. But it was that sort of place Mm. and everyone was always up for having fun and just being silly. And that's what Mike and Doreen were like as grandparents. Yeah. Before that, they lived in Oswald Street. We used to go up there and uh, walk their great big dog and stay in Oswald Street. They had a large house there, didn't they? We always used to go there for Christmas. Mm. But, you know, it feels like that, looking back at it, it feels like every Christmas we went there. I mean, we probably went there two or three times. I don't know. And I was so tiny then. I mean, they moved to France and I was six. Mm. So it was before then that we went to Oswald Street for every Christmas. Yeah. But it feels like that was my childhood. Like, if you think back at it, it really wasn't very long. No. But it was quite a long time in France. They were there for quite a long time, weren't they? And then eventually Doreen decided that she was a little bit too isolated, so they moved into a a village nearby. Yeah, but also Mike was ill at that point. Mm. He had all sorts of cancers, didn't he? Well, kidney cancer to begin with. Yeah, and he was just getting more unwell, and they thought that it would be better for him to be somewhere a bit closer to the hospital, is that right? Yeah, and also just shops and things that he could walk to. Yeah, the one where they lived, the first house, which was in a little tiny village called Buxoy, there was nothing there. There was they lived sort of outside of the village, and you but you could walk into the village, and there would be one shop, tiny little village shop, and a boulangerie, mm. and a pub. Yeah, that we used to go for amazing meals. This tiny little village pub, and have huge feasts, mm-hmm. loads of food, incredible food that was cooked by a little French woman, and she used to come out. And for the kids, say there was ice cream and the different flavours. And she used to go, vanille, chocolat, fraise, like this. And we used to cheese our flavour. We used to eat in the back room, didn't we? So it had a bar, but she had the back room for sort of parties and things. Sometimes if people were visiting, we had meals in the party room at the back of the bar, which was huge. Yeah, and we, we had some parties in there as well. Where I remember there was all sorts of family would come and, and family, friends and things. Lots of people would go there. Often when we'd go there, there would be other family members, like mum's sister and her family, or family friends. Yes, and it wasn't the biggest house. I mean, there were probably no. about three bedrooms, when you think about it. But they also had caravans in the grounds because they had two acres, and people would camp. Yeah, I remember camping there one year or staying in the caravan when there were people in the bedrooms. Mm -hmm. But there were other things as well that were just wonderful about it, like fishing. We used to, just over the road, you'd climb over a gate and go through a cow field, and at the bottom of that field there was a stream with a little weir. Yeah, And we used to go fishing there, and I think that's where we started going fishing, which we would do every now and again. But just sitting there catching fish 
And now that's what we started doing with my kids, haven't we? This latest holiday we went to to Wales. They were like, oh, let's go fishing, desperate to go fishing. And we went fishing and it was the same sort of thing. It was lovely. Mm. But that's what we used to do. You know, just sit down there for hours. <laughs> we did. I remember once catching um, trout mm-hmm. in there, which we brought back and they had a tiny little pond at the house. We put them in the pond. I don't know why we did this. And they jumped, they just jumped out. They were like, I'm not staying in here. <laughs> they thought they could just jump out into another bit and they were just, we just found them on the side. <laughs> yes. And they died. Yeah. Brown trout. Beautiful. Yeah, brown trout, yeah. So there were all sorts of places in France to fish. We got a licence from the local town. to We could fish anywhere. And you could walk across any land in France, apart from the land that's owned by the large chateau. The farmers would often just wave to us as we walked across their land. Yeah. Here, they would yeah. be getting a shotgun out. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Get off my land! Yeah, but they knew that. That's what everybody did. We had fishing rods, so they were like, oh, they're going fishing, how nice. Yeah. They, it was fine. Yes, You were fantastically patient with fishing. I wasn't that bothered about fishing, but you really, really wanted to do it. So I would sit for ages basically watching you fish. And you would do it whether you caught anything or not. But that's exactly like my son now, Freddie. He is exactly as I was. He was very patient. He absolutely loves finding bugs and catching things. And he's extraordinarily good at it. Mm -hmm. We go um, rock pooling when we go down to Cornwall or when we've been going to Wales. And he will spend hours and hours looking under little rocks, finding things, and he finds the most amazing things. And he'll do it for hours and hours. You think, oh, there's nothing in here. We haven't found anything straight away. And the last time we went, we didn't think there was anything there. And then he caught all these baby jellyfish, which were bioluminescent with lights running down them. They were incredible. And little fish. But he can almost do it with his hands. If he doesn't have a net, he still goes and does it. And he's not scared to pick up crabs with their pincers. He picks them up at the back and he's not worried about that. He absolutely loves it. And it's the same with fishing. He'll just sit there mm. and wait and wait and wait. Whereas Leon, my other one, he's a bit younger. Freddie's eight and Leon's six. He's there for a bit and then he's like, can we go home now? I'm bored now. But, <laughs> yeah. Which is fair enough. But there are other things at the uh, at the house that really spring to mind is where they had what we would call the swimming pool. <laughs> But it wasn't a swimming pool at all. It was just a big paddling pool, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It did have sort of hard sides, but to us, it was a swimming pool. And we used to just swim in there all day long for hours and hours and hours. Yes. Until one day, Leslie, who was a friend of theirs from Oswestry, decided it was so hot she was going to go in the pool. And she got in the pool and suddenly there was this great bang and the sides gave way. No, this isn't true. What happened then? I don't even think we were there when it broke because I remember seeing video of it, of my cousins standing in Uh, it going, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, and it just broken. I'm sure it wasn't. This is something he does, uh, listeners, every now and again. (laughs) He has these false memories that he decides are true in his own brain (laughs) and then he tells these as real stories. I'm sure this isn't right. (laughs) It happens all the time. I've turned it into a better story though, haven't I? You have turned it into a better story, but it's not a memory I have because I'm sure it didn't happen. (laughs) Okay. But I, t- I remember what did happen. The next door village along Poulen, they would have a brocante every Easter. Mm. We used to go every Easter there. And it was all through all these little village streets for ages and ages. People would come from miles around just selling their bits and bobs just on the street out the back of there. It was a bit like a boot fair, I suppose, but but so much better, I remember. It was just amazing things you could buy. I'd love to go there now and just fill my house because it was just Brilliant, all the stuff you could get. One year we bought a Solex, is that what it was called? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was this basically a 
push bike that you would cycle, but on the front it had a little engine that you would unclip and then it would clip onto the wheel, Mm -hmm. which would start the engine and then the motor would turn the front wheel and you could just use it as a sort of moped. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Mm. And uh, one year we brought a friend of mine along on the holiday called Casper. Me and Casper were using it to do time trials round the field, which was great fun. And we got really good at it. And we were sort of like, we were just within a few seconds every time and we were trying to shave seconds off our laps. It was great. (laughs) And then you said, right, come on, let me have a go. I'll show you how it's done. (laughs) So you came and you... I don't even remember how it really happened, but you started. We we would start off going down this little hill to get some speed up, and next to it there was a like a fire pit where they'd been having bonfires and stuff. And you went really fast. Like, I'm going to show them as fast as you can. And you put the motor on the wheel. It jammed, and you went over the handlebars and landed in the fire pit <laughs> with the bike on top of you which made all of us cry with laughter. <laughs> but you were obviously actually quite hurt. I was, Which yeah. you demonstrated later by um, showing us what you called the bit between my bum and my balls. <laughs> between bit between my balls and my anus, which you showed us, which was all bruised. So that was a, a special treat for Casper. <laughs> the brake handle had almost gone up my ass. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the funniest moments. Thanks. That we've ever I seen. was in yeah, agony. People getting hurt is very funny sometimes. <laughs> well, we had a brilliant time there. You're right, we did go there all the time. I mean, towards the end, largely because Mike was ill and we needed to go there to help, which was sad. And I also remember very fondly his funeral. It was all handled so brilliantly, I thought. I went to the mortuary the morning before he got buried. And somebody had to witness the closing of the coffin, which was done by the local fire brigade. Mm. The fire chief turned up and he officially sealed it with wax. And it was all really quite beautiful. I remember at the funeral playing Hey Jude, which was his favourite. He was Jewish and people thought it was Hey Jude. Yeah. So like, it's your song, whatever it would come on, it's your song. (laughs) But they played that at the end. And everybody sort of left, but me and Hannah, my sister, we wanted to listen to the whole song. And the the um, people were going to be putting the coffin in the ground. And they were like, you've got to go now. And we're like, no, I'm going to listen to the whole song. Mm. Sorry, we're not going. So we stayed and listened to that whole song. But also, I remember very clearly leaving when we left after that funeral and thinking, that's it. It's all, it's all over. Mm-hmm. We'll never be coming back. Yeah. See, that's where people cry on this podcast. (laughs) I've done it to myself. Well, before we put that in, you lying on a sunbed with the dappled light of a walnut tree. And we ought to explain that because they did have this huge walnut tree in the garden. Oh, yeah. That's the thing I'm putting in and we haven't even talked about that. No? Yeah, huge walnut tree in the back of the garden. which used to get loads of walnuts off every year, but they had these funny old sun lounges under there. We just used to lie on them in the sun. It was absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I remember one year um, when there was the partial eclipse and all the beams of light coming through the leaves of the walnut tree and creating all these little crescents on the ground where it projected the shape of the uh, eclipse, mm. so partial eclipse. It was amazing. Yeah. But we also used to use those sun lounges to lie out and look at the stars because they were in the middle of nowhere, so there was no light pollution, and we used to just have the most incredible view of the stars, and we used to do that. All the time. Mm, you, you would lie there and I would lie there drunk. Completely pissed, yeah. <laughs> and you remember when you, you were sick on the grass and it killed the grass. That's how drunk you <laughs> That's were. That's how drunk I was. <laughs> Happy days. 
Well, my favourite memory, though, John, I'm going to leave with a really lovely memory, which it would be interesting to know your perspective on it. And you can also tell me if I've turned this into a story that isn't true. Yeah. Is that we went to the FET in Buxoy on the soccer pitch, and one of the games was you threw a patank or a boule and you had to throw it into the air and there was a cut log with a slight indentation in it and they put an egg. An egg on it, yeah. And you had to throw the boule and smash the egg. From about uh, 15 paces. Yeah, it was quite far. It wasn't close, was it? No. And all these old French men coming up, all these experts who brought their own bull balls <laughs> yes. to do it with. And if you did it, you got a bottle of wine. Yeah, you won a bottle of wine. And how many bottles of wine did you win? I don't remember, but I remember everybody being very drunk that night mm. again. I think it was three or four. that We first became aware of it because it's the sort of thing where you could just charge off and do whatever you like. And you'd come yeah. over and say, have you got a, um, I think it was five francs at the time. Well, that's quite a lot, isn't it? No, no, 50 francs was five pounds, so it was 50p. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So it gave you five francs and off you'd go. And then you you came back with a bottle of wine and went, oh, that's good, how do you do that? And you went, there's a thing over there where you have to crack an egg. You went, okay. And then you came back with another bottle of wine. I thought, this is good. And then we all went over to watch you do it. And as you arrived, a crowd gathered, a crowd of old (laughs) men nudging each other, as if they discovered some sort of champion. (laughs) Here he is. Here he comes, watch him. Yeah. And you did exactly what you always do in those situations, is that you stepped up to it rather shyly, you got hold of the bull, you threw it exactly as you're supposed to, underarm, mm. and it flew up into the air and landed down and went splat. And they all went, oh, bravo! <laughs> yeah. And you walked away as if, well, I could do it any time I like. But that is, t- talking of Freddie being like me with the fishing and his patience and those sort of things, that's exactly what Leon is. He can do that with throwing. Mm-hmm. He's an extraordinary thrower. He does target, sets up targets and just throws things. He's done it since he was tiny. He's amazing. At, yeah, they both are like me in their own ways, yeah. Yeah, lovely. All right, yeah. there you are, lying on that sunbed with the dappled light. What a lovely thing to put in there. Yeah. Okay, that's item number one, John. Let's move on and see what number two is. Okay, number two is a song. And it's not my favourite song in the world, I like it. It's a great pop song. Uh, I like it for a certain reason, though. And the song is Shotgun by George Ezra. Mm-hmm. You know that song? Yeah. Feeling like but the reason... a shotgun underneath the... No. What's it? Yeah, really? yeah, well, I mean, like that, that was John. close, but it's just, something it's like really, that. It's pretty repetitive, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's nice. It's a good song. But, I mean, you know, it's if I was choosing my Desert Island Discs of my favourite ever songs, it wouldn't be as my favourite song, but it's just what it represents. And which is my children, really, but also a moment that I can remember very clearly. I think it was about four years ago, so they would have been two and four, and I'd had one of the worst work years of my life. I just hadn't got any work. I, I, you probably would have said this in the intro, but apart from being a podcast producer, I work writing music for television and things, and I just didn't get any work. I got nothing, and we were so poor. We were so poor that year and we were just living off my wife's income and she was working part-time because the kids are little and we didn't have enough. I remember you kept on giving me things to sell to keep us going over, just things from the garden or things from the house, which I'd sell and then we'd get a few quid here and there and it would keep us going. And it was awful and very, you know, really terrible for mental health. Money, having no money is just the worst thing Mm. for people. It's just awful. But I remember a moment 
of feeling like, oh, everything's gone wrong and this is just awful and, you know, it was it was horrible. But we put this song on, the kids liked it. We put this song on and we danced with them in the living room. And it's such a clear memory. I remember, oh, I'm going to cry again now. <laughs> this this bloody podcast, who thought of this? <laughs> but um, I just remember being one of the unhappiest moments of my life. But in that moment, it was one of the happiest I've ever been in my entire life, dancing with my children and my wife and just being just, it was one of the lowest moments sort of ever, but just the happiest moment of my life. Just mm. having them knowing that that was what was important. Yeah. Those moments, they do make you realize that actually the other things aren't as important as you think they are. Yeah. Although they're bloody useful. Having some money. Yes. It's very well, useful. It is. Yeah. They're not having to stress about it. It's the stress and the worry of think of just like, Oh, yeah, you can't do anything. No. you just sort of one thing going wrong away from thinking, what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah. You know, the boiler breaks or whatever it is, and you, you know, well, like, we can't pay for it. Mm-hmm. I've had yeah. those moments. You never really let your children know about it, of course. No. You would only have been aware of it because we were always, well, particularly Mandy, my wife, your mother, was always very honest with you. So if you would mm. say, can we have, she would say, we can't at the moment because we have no money. Well, that's the thing about your work and my work. I grew up with that and I grew up with not having regular income from you. We didn't know when you were going to work. And some years you'd work loads and we'd feel like we had lots of money. Mm -hmm. And then some years you wouldn't work at all. It gave me the freedom to be able to do what I do now, having grown up with that sort of lifestyle. It didn't scare me. And everything has always been all right. You know, it's always worked out somehow. Mm. It doesn't make it any less painful, though, when you get to those moments. Yeah, well, I started working in a, at the bar at the uh, music venue that is in Tunbridge Wells, the Forum. I started working at the bar there a few nights a week, which tied us over. But, you know, you, you're going and doing that and you're working with 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And you, I was sort of 35. Mm. You think, oh, this isn't very good. This isn't really what I should be doing. It's not really what you imagine. No. But also, at the same time, I wouldn't change it because the freedom it gives me... And I have friends of mine or people I know who work all the time and they they see their kids at weekends, Mm. but I see my kids all the time. We may not have as much money as we'd like to, but I take them to school every single morning and I often pick them up from school or I'm able to take them to clubs in the evenings or afternoons or if my wife can't get back and she says, oh, can you pick them up? I can do that. And I'm always there and having that sort of life where we're all together and we see each other all the time and we're always with the kids. That's so much more important than working in the city and getting loads of money. Yeah. It's so much better. I would choose that any day of the week. Yeah, you're right. I sort of have that memory, but at the same time, I remember talking to both you and Hannah at lunch once and you saying, well, you were always away when we were kids. Because I would go away. I would go on tour and things like that. Yeah, but you were also there a lot more than a lot of other parents. Yeah, I was known at the school gate. I think I was. there were only two other dads who did that. Yeah, it's the same now, really, with me going to the school. There's not many dads there often. I feel really sorry for them. Yeah, but I think people get stuck into a situation and I don't think they necessarily like it. They'll start work, they go into a job and they think, oh, I've got some money and this is good. And they, they sort of see their career ahead of them. And then they have kids. But they're stuck in that because they've got a house and a mortgage and you can't just suddenly not earn any money. Mm. You have to keep making that money to keep paying for the thing and you're stuck. 
I don't know how you could get out of that, but I'm going, well, we're just going to downsize and live in a flat now, mm. which is where I live, <laughs> in a two-bedroom flat, where everybody we know has got houses. We're the only people we know who lives in a flat. Yeah. And it is sometimes hard to think and to look at other people and go, oh, they've got all this nice stuff. I always, because I never know when I'm going to earn money, and some, and I have had years which have been amazing, really good years, but because you never know when you're going to earn it, if you have it, I'm scared to spend it. That's the thing I was always terrible at. I know, I haven't learned that from you and mum, of saving my money, which I do. You go, whenever you got any money, like, right, let's go on holiday or let's go out for dinner or for a ridiculously expensive <laughs> dinner. You just spend it. <laughs> we might be dead tomorrow. True, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we do do some things. I'm not saying I just no, I hoard it away and never spend any money, but it's always in the back of my mind. Every time I think that, uh, you know, oh, that's it, then that's all over. Something comes along. Yeah, it does seem to be the way with me as well. But that year, it didn't really come along. Mm. I have a similar memory when we just arrived back from Australia. We came back and you really suffered from jet lag. So you would wake mm. up, as young children do, at two o'clock in the morning. And that went on for weeks and weeks. It certainly feels that way because I remember coming down and putting on Feed the World. And we would dance around the room to feed the world for hours. So that's the song that, for me, is that memory of just dancing around the living room with your children. Yeah. There's so many moments like that with children. Mm -hmm. But that one really just stands out, just because of the contrast of where I was in my life and being incredibly unhappy, but being the happiest I've ever been in my life. Yeah. At the same time. Lovely. It's funny. Mm, it's lovely. All right. George Ezra's in there. Bless him. George Ezra as well. I I won't talk about this for a long time, but I've found out recently that I have something in common with George Ezra where I have a dizziness problem, which I've suffered with for eight years, where sometimes the whole world will spin for hours and hours and I'll be incredibly dizzy. But every single day I will feel dizziness. It's worse some days than others. But I recently found out that George Ezra started suffering with that and he had to cancel tours. It sounds exactly the same sort of thing as I've got. And he's he's got this dizziness problem as well, which I feel very sorry for him. Well, uh, that could have been the thing I was going to put in there to get rid of this dizziness thing. But I, well, I thought it would be. No. Because you don't know where it comes from and they've not been able to find out why it happens particularly, have they? No. No one's ever been able to tell me. And it's been, actually, it's nine years now. Mm. It's been going on for nine years. And I am meant to be seeing a specialist soon, but I've been waiting to see this specialist for a year. Mm. So thanks to the government. No, it's, it's all those lazy doctors, John. They just can't be asked. If only they'd just check their emails or something, they could have sorted this out ages ago. Mm. Oh, well, hopefully soon. All right, let's move on to number three. OK, time for some adverts to pay for the making of this podcast. Thanks for your patience. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. Right, let's get straight back to my chat with my son, John, and the other things he'd like to put in his time capsule. Okay, number three is my Fostex four-track tape recorder hey. that I got when I was a teenager. Which you still have. Yeah, it is somewhere. So my other work, as I've said, is writing music. And I started doing that when I was a young teenager. I start, first started playing the guitar and would sort of make things up and learn other people's songs. But then I started to want to record them. So you bought me a four-track tape recorder. Mm. It just uses a normal tape, but usually on a tape you've got two tracks for one side of the tape, so that's a stereo pair, two tracks, left and right. And on the other side, when you turn the tape over, you've got two tracks going the other way. But this recorder uses those four tracks, which you have on all tapes, and makes them all go the same way, so you can record four different recordings onto one side of a tape. Mm. That's how it works. But it was my first go at making music and recording music. And although it's incredibly simple technology, it sort of forces you to be incredibly creative. So at the same time, I had a mini disc player. And what I would do is I'd find drum beats from other songs, like a loop of drums with nothing else behind it. And I'd record an exact loop on the mini disc player. So you'd start at the beginning of the beat and quickly press stop at the end of the beat. And if you pressed repeat on the mini disc, it would just loop it. Mm. So I would make a loop by recording on a mini disc. I'd then record that onto my four track and then start layering things over the top of it. And I used to... I think I started off, I was really into hip-hop at the time, and lots of my mates were as well. And uh, some of them started to learn to rap and things. And so I'd create beats for them to come and rap on, and they'd come round. They'd record their rapping on it, and I'd make it. And uh, it was just incredibly fun to do. I just remember absolutely loving it immediately. It's just so exciting to be able to make your own music and then to be able to come play it to my friends. And we would then... Our friends would then listen to our music that we'd made. It was really great. Mm. Is it right that the first song you did was that one with Hannah's answer phone on it? That's one of the first songs I did on a computer. That wasn't on the four track. Right. So after I'd had the four track for a while, and I then got a, a Mac. I think it was the first iMac, those colourful big bubble ones, mm-hmm. with a, a computer music programme called Logic on it. It was a really early version of that. And that's when I started, you can have more tracks going and you can have other instruments going. So there were drums in there that I built the drums up. I didn't have to sample the drums from somewhere else. Mm. And that's when I wrote that song. It's just one of the first songs I ever wrote. And I was actually inspired to write it by, this was the time when the television program Fame Academy was on the telly. Mm-hmm. Remember that program? Yeah. And they would have different people who were sort of songwriters and singers all living in a house. It was like Big Brother, but they learned to make music and they'd do concerts at the end of the week and people would get voted off. But like Big Brother, it was live on the red button, I think it was. You could mm. watch them live. So you could watch their singing lessons and things like that. Mm. 
And I remember just watching that for hours, just people going through singing lessons. And I think it probably really helped me learn all sorts of stuff because I did the lessons with them. Mm. And then people started writing their own music in that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I could try that. So I then went and sort of probably copied one of their styles a bit and wrote this song, but then recorded all the parts for it. It was the first time I'd done that. I recorded the bass and I recorded the guitar and then worked out all the harmonies and just created a whole song. We'd never really heard you sing properly before yeah. that. So you, when you played that to us, I remember the amazement that not only had you sung it, but you'd sung all the harmonies, you'd done everything. To me, it's one of my favourite songs of all time. That would definitely be one of my Desert Island discs. But yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one, though, because it's, it's a love song. And I needed, in my mind, I was like, oh, it'd be good to have a female voice on it. So this is a bit weird. I took my sister's <laughs> um, answer phone message. The song was called Waiting and it was like, I'm waiting. And it was like, so you'd call this person you'd never get through and you're waiting for them, but you love them. But I'd used my sister's answer phone thing. So it's a little <laughs> bit weird, but obviously nobody would know that if they just heard the song. That was what my thinking was at the time. Yeah. But it does work well. But it went on to other things, didn't it? You were in a band for a while, which uh, I, I loved your band. But then I'm your dad, you know, so of course I did. No, but it was good. It was mm. a really good band. We were, I was in a band called Paisley Grammar with um, just some friends. And we were in it at the right time because it was the time of MySpace. And MySpace was incredible for unsigned music mm. because people would have profiles and a band could have a profile as well, but it would be the same sort of profile. So you could add friends. And I remember getting like an illegal friend adder, mm. like bought it online. And then it would like, you you would just, you could <laughs> add people and people would go, oh, someone wants to be my friend. <laughs> now you just go, well, this is spam. But in those days, you didn't really think about that. So we had thousands and thousands and thousands of followers because I would just add people all the time. Mm. But you could also be very specific with this adder where you could put a postcode in. So if we were going to play in Winchester or somewhere I could just add everybody of a certain age to our thing and they would actually join and listen and they'd go, oh, they're playing in Winchester and they'd come to our gigs. But another thing you could do on MySpace was you could search for people via their jobs. So I just searched A&R people from record companies and then added them. And they were yeah. like, oh, a band's added me. And nowadays they'd go off. Oh, no, they they wouldn't bother. They wouldn't listen. But it just happened to be this time where it was this amazing thing for music. Mm. So we had all these A and R people looking at us, and we went and did showcases, and we were invited all to all these amazing things, and loads of record companies interested in us. And I think if we had stuck together, we probably would have got somewhere. Yeah. I, the other day, actually, I heard um, a song. We got friendly with Danny from McFly. He started going out with the sister of a friend of mine. So we got to know him a bit and he came to some of our gigs and he really liked us. And he invited us to go to his studio where they recorded all the McFly music. Mm. They lived in these apartments. So on the ground floor was the bass player. Then the middle floor, the whole of this flat was uh, their studio. So it was drums in one room and stuff. It was absolutely brilliant. And then on the top floor is where this guy Danny lived. And we went to go and record in his studio and he invited us. And the other day I found one of the recordings. I've actually, I've only got one recording from him. We did record quite a lot, but then it all, the band fell apart after that. Just as we were about to do something good, it all fell apart, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to it the other day and it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this was brilliant. I just know it would have been great, if, you know, but it's the way it happens, isn't it? It's just young people in bands. shouldn't They shouldn't be in bands. Young people are idiots and they think that things are going to happen or it should be a certain way. And you go, oh, no, we can't do that. We have to 
No, just, you know, nowadays, if I was in a band like that, it would be great being older and wiser. You wouldn't make all these stupid mistakes. But it was great fun. So that Fostex led on to so many things and it led on to my career. And so Benny, who was in the ba- I was in the band with, we started a music production company together when we were, I think he was 19 and I was 21 or something like that. Past the Peas music, which you might have heard mentioned at the end of this podcast, because I wrote the theme tune for this. And we just sort of went, oh, we'll start a music production company together. And we just started getting work. I don't really know how we did it. <laughs> Benny then left the company a few years later, and he's gone on to do incredible things. He produced um, the last album by the band James, mm. and he co-wrote and produced Leanne Le Havre's last album, which I think was nominated for Ivan Avellos and things. Anyway, he's gone on to do amazing things, but it's fair enough because he is an incredible musician and producer. Yeah. Easily the best music person that I'll ever work with. And then that, that led on to what I do now and I still do do it I still do make music I recently wrote all the music for Sky Kids and I'm the voice of Sky Kids the one mm. the singing voice of Sky Kids all the they have songs that they play every day a wake up song a good night song and a get up and go song in the day and it's me I wrote them and I sung them so if you've got Sky Kids listen now I'm on it every day three <laughs> times a day <laughs> did I ever tell you the story of being on holiday in Italy and Late night, everybody's playing stuff. And I said, oh, let me play you this song. My son's just written this song. It's really brilliant. And that's my daughter's voice at the beginning. And I played that song that you'd written with Hannah's answer phone message on it. And everybody went, ah, oh, that's, that's really lovely. I said, it's just about his first, that's the first song he's ever sung. And then a woman who was with us on the holiday said, uh, shall I play you my daughter's latest song? And I went, um, okay, yeah, thinking, you know, it'll be okay. And uh, she was Lily Allen's mum. <laughs> Thanks. Was Lily Allen famous at that point? She was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Lily Allen famous because of MySpace. She was one of the MySpace people. Absolutely. That's how she got famous. Yeah. But I still think your song was better. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> All right. We're going to put the four track in. That's your third item, John. So we've only got two left. Yeah. Well, shall I do the bad one and, we, and then we won't end on a bad one? Okay. Yeah. Good. Get it out of the way. It's strange, isn't it, that people tend to, because you say, four things you yeah. love and one you hate, is they do it in that order. Yeah, so people always think that's how you do it. We end with the bad one, but you don't have to. No. We also thought when we put that into the format that people would just choose perhaps a funny story or something silly that's happened to them, an embarrassing moment, and then we'd all laugh about it. Mm-hmm. And then people came on and chose incredibly serious and frightening and extraordinary moments from their life, and it was very, very serious. Yeah. We never thought that would be the case. No. So... Because of that, I've got two. I've got one, which is just a funny, silly story that's incredibly embarrassing, which I thought people were going to do. And then I've got one after that, which is a serious thing. Okay, so So, on your own podcast, you're going to cheat. Well, I'm just going to do what we thought people were going to do. (laughs) And then I'm going to do what everybody actually does. Okay, go on then. So the silly one is an embarrassing moment, the most one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Does it involve me? No, amazingly <laughs> Amazing. not. There were too many of those stories. <laughs> Couldn't choose. When I was 18, I went to college, the local college, to do a BTEC national diploma in music technology. And um, whilst I was there, there was a woman who worked there who was probably about 21 and she was really nice. And somebody told me, someone said, she really fancies you. <laughs> and I was 18 and she was 21. I was like, my God, wow, that's so amazing. How exciting. I thought it was the best thing ever. And then one night I was out in Tunbridge Wells where we live. And it was in this little bar just down the road. 
And she was there. She was in the pub. And I was like, oh, my God, she's here. How exciting. And maybe I'll speak to her. But, you know, I hadn't picked up the courage to speak to her. And I, but I needed to go to the toilet. So I went downstairs to the toilet. I went into the toilet. And as I came out of the toilet, she was outside the toilet waiting to use the toilet. And I came out. I was like, oh, my God, here's my chance to speak to her. <laughs> so I said, and I have no idea why I said this, my first words were, we, 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 all the way home. <laughs> That's what I decided to start with. And she looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Why did you say that? And then it was at that moment that I realised that I'd been in the women's toilets. <laughs> and she'd been waiting for someone to come out, thinking, oh, there's a woman in there. And then I come out and say, we, 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 all the way home at her. <laughs> We never spoke ever again. That was the end of all that. <laughs> Incredibly embarrassing. And that feeling of shame never leaves you when you think about those moments. You go, oh, God, for the rest of your life. Yes. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> so that's my silly one. Okay. And my serious one is school phobia. Mm. So you've spoken about this a couple of times in some earlier episodes of the podcast, how... I became school phobic and stopped being able to go to school. And I, I didn't know whether to speak about this or not. Rebecca Front chose this as well, actually. She suffered from a similar thing. And I remember listening to that and finding it very moving because it was so close to home. But I also, I don't, I don't know, I just thought it would be interesting for us to talk about it because we've never really spoken about it. We never really have, no. no. So I thought, you know, best to do that in front of loads of people on a podcast rather than just privately <laughs> but it's because it forces it forces us into it that's why i did it we said we probably wouldn't ever go oh well, let's let's sit down and talk about that awful time in our lives no there are times when i thought you know perhaps we should have done and in fact i think maybe we may have broached the subject before in the in the idea that you might tell us about it because we never really understood where it came from and we always suspected that, in fact, it came from the fact that you were being bullied and you'd gone to a school where suddenly everything was very alien and none of your friends were there. Yeah, well, that is. We felt very guilty about it because, in a way, we'd forced you down that route to a large extent because of our political views, because we didn't believe in taking the 11 plus. And all the schools yeah. in our area did that. And then I've also felt always felt very guilty about the fact that although I tried to be as understanding as possible, I came from a viewpoint which was, well, you have to go to school. I'd mm -hmm. never come across something like it before. I had no, no knowledge of it. So when you said I don't want to go to school, my response was, well, bad luck. You have to. Yeah. Well, about the first point, there's no way you would have ever thought, oh, we better not send him there because my sister had gone there and she absolutely loved it and she was fine. True. So there's, so there's no blame there. Secondly... Usually what happens in that situation where someone's like, oh, I don't want to go, I don't like it. You go, well, you just go a bit more and then you'll get used to it and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. so that's obviously what you thought. It'll be fine. Don't worry. It might be hard, but you, you'll be all right. There's no blame there either. I don't, that's not something I think about. So I remember a very specific moment of going to this school on the first day. All my friends had gone to the local schools, the grammar schools. And there was one boy who went to this other school I went to, but they hadn't put him in my form group. But I remember before going thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be the person I've always wanted to be and I'm going to change. I remember thinking I'm going to be different and I'm going to be great. And then getting there on the very first day and 
I remember a really very specific moment. They all had come from local school, so they all knew each other. And it being the break time, going out at break time, and everybody just ran off together. And I was there alone, and there was nobody there. And I thought, I don't know anybody, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I was, it was that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm alone. And I, I'd never had that before with school, mm. all the way through primary school, you know, it was fine. I loved it, going to primary school, really. But that moment of like, I'm alone, and I don't know anybody, and I don't know how to to change this. But it just built up from there. That's what happened. Slowly, I had a really horrible form tutor. So when I was worried or upset, he wouldn't be understanding at all. And after I'd been there for a while and I was finding it very difficult, I remember I would just sit in the class just crying in the classroom. Mm. And like other students were like, I remember this girl coming up like, are you okay? You know, and it was just the students who tried to help me. And this teacher... But not your teacher, no. No, this teacher saying to me, I used to pretend to be ill so I could get out of school. Mm. And him saying to me, I would be sitting in the classroom crying and him going, oh, what is it today, John? Another stomachache, is it? Mm. And just like, what a bastard. He was later convicted and sent to prison for child abuse, wasn't he? Mm. That man? Yes. Nothing like that ever happened with me and him. No, but I always suspected, and you were probably too young to know about it, but I always suspected that he was deliberately isolating you. Who knows? That he was grooming you. Don't know. I don't know either. But I've always suspected that. But I remember another moment as well, holding it all in and thinking, oh, I don't like this. This is horrible. And then after about three days of being at school and finding it horrible, in the morning, sitting on the sofa and just, you were like, oh, is everything all right? How's, you know, you're having fun. And I just said, I hate school. (laughs) And then crying. And I think that was, must have been the first time that I voiced it. Mm. But obviously you would think, oh yeah, of course, you know, you've just started a new school, you don't really know anybody, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. You just need to go more and then you'll be all right. It was just a culmination of all sorts of things for a long time. Mm. It just never got better, it only got worse to the point where I couldn't go. And then it became school phobia and I couldn't go at all. No, I remember the hours of sitting outside of school trying to persuade you in and you sitting in the back of the car crying. And then it went on and you were homeschooled for a while. Yeah, I remember, I do remember the moment you said, should we just not do this anymore? Do you want to have lessons at home? Mm. Just being like, oh my God, thank God for that. Such relief. But I think for lots of children to not go to school and not have friendship groups like that would be really difficult and really damaging. But I was lucky because I had a massive friendship group outside of school because I was a skateboarder. So I had all the way through not going to school. I had school friends. They just didn't go to my school. Mm. So I had loads of friends. I think without that, it would have been really damaging, possibly, and really difficult. So that was a real lifesaver. Do you remember having been told, okay, you don't have to go to school anymore, that you went, oh, good, can I get my hair cut then? And we said, yeah, and you went out and you came back and it was cut and died in the style of a tennis ball. I do. Yeah. Well, it's sort of that sort of freedom and that is what I'm like, really. Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at being told what to do or to, I, I don't know. Yeah. So it was probably better for me anyway. But, um, but I, yeah, we tried to go to this Steiner school. Yeah. And I, I know I was too far gone by then. It I was, was close. It was unwell. It was so close, John. They were, they never, were fantastically caring and yeah. thoughtful. I know that if I had managed to go there, I did. we did try and go there for months and months and months. 
And I know if I had managed to get past it and go there, I know it would have been a great school for me and it would have been brilliant. Yeah. So there was the first school, which was awful. Then we tried the Steiner school. Mm -hmm. And then we said, let's not do this anymore. We'll teach you at home. So I had homeschooling. And then when it came to doing GCSEs, we've heard about this other school. So we thought, well, let's try and you go to this other school to do your GCSEs. So it was called West Heath in Seven Oaks which had been the school that Princess Diana had gone to. It was called West Heath. And then this school for people like me and other kids who had been out of school for a long time for all sorts of reasons. So there were people like me, there were kids who'd been really ill for ages and hadn't been able to go to school, and then it was very difficult to get back in. There were also kids who'd been expelled from school and weren't able to go to mainstream school. They'd been on this tiny site somewhere in a car park of another school in Huts, and they needed... A proper school. So this school that Princess Diana had gone to, this huge school, they thought, oh, we'll try and buy that. And the head teacher, Mrs. May, who was really quite an amazing woman, to try and raise the money for it, she went to go and speak to Mohammed Al-Fayed. And uh, she went in, first thing she said was, I'm really sorry about your son. Yeah. And he started crying and said, no one ever says that to me. Mm. And then he was basically like, what do you want? And she said, well, I've got this school. And he said, okay, I'll buy it. And he bought it for them and then he funded it. Yeah. Which is an amazing thing to do. People don't really know the, I mean, Mohammed Al-Fayed is, he's known for certain things, but people don't know this about him. No. And it took a long time for us to get you back in there, didn't it? Yeah. It was months and months and months of sitting in the car, mm. going there and sitting in the car. Remember, I went the very first day I went and I went in and I spent the whole day there and I did it. And we all thought, it's done. We've done it. And then after that, and I couldn't go. I don't know why. It was so weird that it's why they call it a phobia. It's really irrational mm -hmm. in a way, some of it, of just not being able to make yourself do it. But almost in my mind thinking, I could just go in there. I could just walk in. I could just do that. But not being able to physically make myself do it. And I had to just sit in the car for months, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And then eventually I started going in a bit and then eventually I started going and then I was absolutely fine. You were head boy. Yeah, although there were only three people in my year. Yeah, well. So I don't know. And you appeared in Bugsy Malone. Yeah, there was a school player, Bugsy Malone. I played Fat Sam. <laughs> it was great fun. And, and also there, I really started doing a lot of music as well. Mm. That's where my music really developed because... Um, when we first started going there, they said, oh, Paul McCartney's going to come and set up the music department. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> but it never happened. And so they said to me, oh, do you know anyone who does music? And we, I did. I sort of went, yeah, actually, I know it's a friend of ours, Sean Lyons, who'd played guitar on the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. He's an amazing guitarist and wrote one of the songs on David Bowie's album. And I said, well, I, I know him. And they called him up. And he was the music teacher there for years. Yes. But he set up the whole thing. So we built a recording studio there and I helped paint it and put it all in. And I could, was just allowed to go and use this recording studio. And that's where I first started using computers. Mm. It was a weird place because of the mix of kids. They were all really nice. I got on really well with them. But like some of them had been expelled from schools. No, often for being bullies, ironically. Yeah. I, I really like them all. I got on really well with them. Yeah. Well, it, maybe it shows that actually, you know, quite often the bully is exactly the same as the boy or very close to the boy who gets bullied. I've always thought that. Yeah. That actually one of the reasons they become a bully is because they're scared. Yeah. My favourite thing about that school, though, was the fact that Mohammed Al-Fayed used to turn up every now and again in his helicopter. Yeah. He just used to come and land on the field and come and see us all and like, hello and like <laughs> pass on the head. They also used it for the prize giving each year. He'd bring along a celebrity. Yes. So one year he brought along Tony Curtis. 
and he gave out the prizes in his Stetson hat. Enormous Stetson hat. And yeah, his it was wonderful false hair. <laughs> yeah. After I left, they started putting on concerts to raise some money and they invited me back with my band to go and play. Mm. And one year, the guest that Muhammad Elfire brought along was Madonna. <laughs> and we were so bizarre. So I shared a stage with Madonna. And then they had this little tent and she just sat in there all day with Muhammad Elfire and people were sort of looking, oh my God, it's Madonna. And then she came on stage and did a bit of a speech and then they went away in the helicopter. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. It was amazing, though. So I did my GCSEs there. I got really good results. You did fantastically well, considering that really you did your GCSEs in about three months. Yeah. You know, so yeah. considering by the time you actually got in and started studying, you've sort of crammed for it. Maybe that's the best way to do it. Who knows? But the, the yeah. brilliant thing is that, that that awful, awful thing of school phobia, which crept up on you and then became overwhelming and really frightening. There were times when I remember you were so depressed and I remember Mandy would go to work and then I would have to go up to London to do something. I would dash up to London and dash back and I, I do remember walking into the house and calling your name. Now I've done it now. The My Time Capsule curse has struck oh, again. Oh, my God, I'm People sorry. crying. Um, and yeah. and uh, being frightened you were dead. Yeah. Well, I, I never did feel suicidal, actually, the whole, that, through that thing. I, I wasn't ever suicidal. But I was very ill. Mm. I was really mentally unwell through that. Yeah. Strange, such a strange time to think back about. Yeah. But it still does affect me to this day. I'm a lot better now, but for ages, like anything like going away, like if I go, when I started going out with my girlfriend, we like went to Berlin or something together. It was the first trip we'd done away. And I was so scared. It was really huge amounts of anxiety about doing something like that, going away from home. And it was all from that. And it, it still lingers to this day to a certain extent. Mm. But you fight it, which is the brave thing. You don't give into it anymore. Yeah, I think considering all of that awful business, I could be a lot worse <laughs> now. I could be completely fucked up. And I'm not, I don't think. No. Most people are to a certain extent, but I'm no more than anybody else. No. So... It was. It all turned out fine. Now look at me. I'm a podcast producer. My wildest <laughs> dreams have come true. <laughs> and working with, you know, some pretty famous people, John. Some very famous people. And my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have the last thing that you want to put in there that you want to keep. Oh, yeah, I've got another one I thought I'd finish no. because uh, we always do the bad one last. Yeah. Okay, this one is a meal that I had. It's a meal in a town in France called Eme. So it was probably about 10 years ago. A really good friend of mine, Henry, who he lives in China, and uh, he was back visiting this part of the world, but he had gone on a holiday with his girlfriend to France. And he phoned me up and was like, look, we've got this apartment in France. There's a spare room. We've got a car. If you can get here then you can just come and stay for free. Mm. Now, me and my wife, maybe because of what we've just been talking about, especially me, we're not that spontaneous <laughs> about doing things like this. And because of what we spoke about earlier, I always worry about, oh God, it's going to cost loads of money and I don't know when I'm going to have money. So I get worried about that. But for this one thing, we went, let's do it. Let's just go. So we booked the flights that night and we went the next day. Mm. And we had such a brilliant holiday. It was so lovely. We rented bikes went on wine tours. We went on one wine tour on a bike. So we went around all these different vineyards 
there wasn't a set tour. We just went out on our bikes to find things, yeah. got drunk, which is so <laughs> stupid, and then got lost. And we didn't know how to get home. We ended up coming back on the main road. The only way we could do it was we found a sign poster. This is the way to MA. But it was on the main road and there were lorries going round us. Oh, my God, it was awful. And it was miles. Um we went on a nice canoeing trip down the river again. We took wine with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the wine that we bought on the wine tour. This would be pre-children, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is pre-children. So, yeah, you could just go, let's go. Let's just do it. Yeah. But we went on this one meal in this town, MA, which they call like Little England or something. So it wouldn't have been my first choice of a place to go because there were loads of English people there. Mm. But there was the one very posh restaurant in the town and we thought, oh, we'll go there. And I was thinking, God, it's going to be really snooty. But we went there and they seemed quite friendly and we sat down and they were like, oh, what what wine would you like? And then from nowhere, the chef comes out and goes, ah, hello, hello, big loud man. This is what I'm cooking. This is the wine you need. This wine goes perfectly with the food I'm cooking. So get this wine. And we were like, oh, that's nice. It was a nice guy. And then the food came and it was, was so lovely. Brilliant, brilliant food. Some of the best food I've ever eaten. I cannot remember any of the food I actually ate (laughs) (laughs) because that's not my overriding memory of the meal. It was just the whole atmosphere around it and the chef always coming out. Every time he brought out food, he was like, is that all right? Is that nice? Is that good? And then um, the most incredible thunderstorm started and it was absolutely torrential rain outside and huge flashes of lightning and we were in this thing. I think we were the only people in there. (laughs) And then he came out and so do you want dessert? And my friend was like, oh, no, I'm really full. And he was showing his shirt was sort of tugging because it was stomach, stomach was so big. He went, ah, I know, I know. And he ran into the kitchen, ran back with a big roll of sellotape and made him stand up and taped his shirt back together, wrapped <laughs> tape all around him. He was just brilliant, this guy. <laughs> So we did have dessert. After he'd had dessert, he said, oh, I've got some extra stuff. And he brought out these, uh, they're called like Petit Four. And then he, he he then had loads of extras. He wrapped them up for us to take home in some foil. And then we got to the end of the meal and it was still this crazy thunderstorm. And we'd use the bikes to get there to this place. So we were like, oh, we don't know how we're going to get back. And he went, I'll drive you. I'll just drive you. <laughs> so he's like, okay. So he had this sort of like funny old French van with just seats at the front. So there were only spaces for two of us each time. So my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Joe, and Henry's girlfriend, they went first and they went off to the thing. And so Henry and I sat there and we sat in the garden, I think, under an umbrella, <laughs> having some more drinks. And it was just just such a lovely feeling just to be there. And also, you know, I spoke about France earlier. This is the second bit of France I'm putting in. Mm. I just love France. I mean, don't go there enough anymore. Having gone there so much as a child and just loving it. And I still love it, but I hardly ever go there. So eventually the guy comes back and picks us up and drove like I've never been driven before in my life. <laughs> Terrifying. The fastest, just down these little French roads, so fast in the torrential thunderstorm, mm-hmm. screeched up to the flat and then we say goodbye and he was like, don't worry about the bikes, you know, leave them at the restaurant. And it was just just so amazing. And was it the best bottle of wine to go with that food? Yeah, it was perfect. I slightly suspected you were going to say, and then the bill came, and this wine cost... Yeah, no, that was, we did worry about that, but he didn't do that, no. no. He he just said, this is a nice bottle of wine to go with my food. And we're like, okay. Mm. 
He was just fantastic, this man. The idea in our heads before we went like, oh, this is probably going to be really snooty and really posh and we're going to have to sit there being sensible. Mm. And it was completely the opposite. And he was fantastic and so entertaining and hilarious. And the food was brilliant and the friends were brilliant. I love Henry. Hardly ever get to see him Mm. whenever I see him. Hadn't seen him for years recently because he was stuck in China. Wasn't allowed to leave because of COVID and saw him recently. And it's always the same when I see him. Mm. Always lovely. It just was a brilliant holiday and it was just topped off by that meal. We went back to the apartment, watched the thunderstorm with some more of the wine we'd got on the wine tour and then we came home the next day. And we'd bought a bull set, a metal bull set while we were there, which we were playing. And Henry was like, oh, I'm going to bring it back with me. I was like, I don't know if you'll be able to bring it back. Like <laughs> he had it in his hand luggage, but he was pretending because they have to wait if it's too heavy. He was just pretending it was so light and it was incredibly heavy. It had bottles of wine in it as well. <laughs> so they wouldn't suspect him. And then it went through the scanner and we watched the men <laughs> scanning it. Just And they sort of all looked at each other like, what? And then they were all doing the arm movement of... <laughs> Ball, yeah, because there were just these big metal balls going through the scanner, <laughs> or they're the core of nuclear weapons. Yeah, and they opened it up, and then they were like, "No, no, you can't take that on a plane." <laughs> so he didn't get away with it. Uh, it was a wonderful holiday, lovely, and also something we don't do because it was so spontaneous that we just went, "Yeah, let's go. We'll just go now. We we'll just like, put the flight. We're going tomorrow." Yeah. Well, let's it was go. Great fun. Let's go now. Yeah, let's go now. Let's go oh, now. Let's stop the go. recording. Let's go. Let's go to let's France. Book a flight. We should definitely all go back to France much more. It's a lovely time capsule, John. Thank you very much for telling me about it. It's going to be an edit, isn't it? Am I going to edit it, or are you going to edit it? <sighs> I don't know. It might be. I don't know. We might have to get an outside editor. It's too close for both of us. See, I'd cut the story about me falling off the bicycle. Get rid of that. No, that's a good one, that one. <laughs> I love that. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me. That's all right. I'll see you in the kitchen in about 10 minutes. Yeah, let's go and debrief. <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my son, John Fenton-Stevens. Thanks for listening. I know there's no real reason why you should be interested in hearing John's choices, so if you have stuck with us to this point, thanks, and I hope you enjoyed it. Back to the world of celebrity next week, obviously, and we have 300 other episodes with guests ranging from the very famous to quite famous to just people I think you'll like, so take your pick. If you subscribe, then we'll send you all episodes as they're released, or rather, let out on parole. Please do click on five stars as a rating. I know that sounds like cheating. And it is. But the more ratings a podcast has, the more chance they have of getting advertisers. Then again, if you'd rather hear this podcast without adverts, then you can. If you subscribe to Acast Plus, they will then disappear overnight. Do search me and my time capsule out on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and follow or befriend us on there. Uh, We mostly talk about the podcast, but you'll also be able to see what we're up to elsewhere. And we're very friendly usually. The theme tune, written and performed by John, under the auspices of Pass the Peas music, is available to listen to or download on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by today's guest, John Fenton-Stevens. Although for once, he was nothing to do with the editing. Right, I need a lie down after that. Oh, thanks for indulging me. I realise now, having spoken to John, that although it was hard at the time, my wife and I are very lucky that we had our children young. After all, who on earth would want to give birth to old children? Bye. Hold up. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.